This week, we're reprising our April episode on the US dollar because it's only gotten stronger since then. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform, because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of August 29th, 2022. This week, we are reprising an episode we did in April covering the U.S. dollar. The dollar had been on a tear then, but pales in comparison to the dollar's strength today. There's been a few notable developments that have driven this leg higher. The first is continued rate hikes and hawkishness from the Federal Reserve. Back in April, when we originally recorded this, the Fed funds rate was just 0.5% at the upper bound, and the market expected it to end this year at 2.5%. Today, we've already reached that 2.5%, and we expect to see Fed funds reach 3.5% by the end of 2022. Currency strength tends to follow high interest rates, and that's the bulk of the story. The other key driver of dollar strength is that other major currencies don't look that attractive. The euro, for instance, is facing continued growth pressures and ongoing risk from Russia's war on Ukraine. What has really caught investors' attention was when the dollar reached parity with the euro, something the world has not seen since the early 2000s, but great for everyone who went on vacation to Europe this summer. We're replaying April's episode, hopefully as a helpful reminder of how to measure dollar strength, what drives it, and what it means for portfolios both today and over the long term. Enjoy. It is definitely a fun topic, one of my favorites. So let's get into it. For the benefit of our listeners, we chose this topic because the dollar's been on the move stronger. The trade weighted dollar, which is a measure of the dollar's strength relative to other currencies, spiked to its 20 year high in March of 2020 amid all the COVID tumult and then fell. But now it's back up to those pre COVID levels, which, aside from the COVID shock itself, puts us near the strongest level the dollar's hit in nearly 20 years. So, Julia, remind us what the economy looked like before the pandemic and what it now means for dollar strength in this case versus weakness before. Well, it feels like another lifetime, but before COVID rocked all of our worlds, the U.S. was leading the global economy in what was considered Goldilocks, or synchronized global growth. The U.S. labor market was the strongest in decades, growth was solid, global equities were doing well, and the Fed had raised interest rates accordingly. The U.S. was the only major developed market with a positive real interest rate at the time. Well, we'll go ahead and say then that the U.S. dollar was strong then, and that means it's strong now too. It's Fascinating that today's environment looks like a lot more nuanced, muddled version of what you just described. Growth is strong, like it was before the pandemic, but now it's slowing. And the U.S. is outperforming on the growth front, but that might only be due to some of these complicating factors elsewhere, like the conflict in Ukraine. Financial markets are puttering along and the Fed's raising interest rates. So the dollar's strong again, like it was before COVID, but not because everything is sunny, which is how it felt then, but because of these other factors and also maybe inflation. 
Exactly. So it's really worth the question of where the dollar goes from here. But the issue is that the answer can get pretty complicated because the US is so dominant in the global economy and the dollar is so dominant as a global currency that they tend to involve almost every economic dynamic out there. That's a really, really good point. So I'm going to pause you there and point out something particularly important about that point, which we've been dancing around a bit. Dollar strength, when you say the dollar is strong or dollar weakness, that's that's a relative conversation. The dollar can't really be strong just on its own. It's strong relative to other currencies. So there are a few common ways that we use to gut check that. One is the trade weighted dollar, which I already mentioned, and that includes 26 global currencies based on their trade relationship with the U.S., Another way to measure dollar strength or weakness is the ICE dollar index or DXY index for those of you with a Bloomberg terminal. And that's more concentrated. It focuses on just the dollar against the euro and a few other currencies. So for those listening, the point of going through all of this is that the dollar is only strong or weak relative to something else, whatever you decide that something else should be. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it's helpful to divide your point about the relative side of this into two key forces, which have been very well studied and tend to drive the dollar strength or weakness over time, relative growth and liquidity. And from the investment perspective, both of these really boil down to risk tolerance. Well, let's take a stab at each of them then. So growth, it's all relative. Historically, the dollar has tended to outperform when the U.S. is outperforming on the growth front. And investors want to be part of that growth, which drives, of course, flows to the U.S., maybe drives up the dollar. Conversely, when the world is faced with broad-based slowdown, the dollar tends to outperform as an asset perceived as more safe. So then how do you how do you pull in the liquidity side of this, Julia? How do you know the difference? So the dollar tends to be stronger in environments when liquidity is lower. For example, when the Fed is tightening policy. And that's because, as you said, this is all relative. The dollar has to be strong relative to other currencies. So when global financial conditions are easy, growth is plentiful, and everyone's doing well, the dollar is likely to be less relatively strong. When liquidity is tightening, though, it implies two things. First, a slowdown in global growth, which you just mentioned, which is typically caused by, number two, a tightening of monetary policy, usually led by the Fed. Got it. Got it. So again, putting these things together, if the US economy is doing really well, that doesn't necessarily mean the dollar will be strong if everybody else's economy is doing really well too. It's all relative. And, and what you described, Julia, about liquidity, that's what's happening today. Liquidity conditions are tightening because the Fed's hiking interest rates. And what this tells investors is that it might be time to think about a safe haven to invest in if the outlook is getting less sunny. And that tends to benefit dollar-denominated assets. In the same vein, higher interest rates might attract flows into the dollar currency itself. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. I do think, though, it's important to note that we're not there yet. Interest rates in the U.S. are not high by any definition and are really quite negative in real terms, adjusting for inflation. And the cycle is not yet pointing to risk-off mode. That's a great point and brings us to our portfolio pause, a segment of the program where we share an investment idea. And today we'll discuss how the dollar's behavior does and frankly does not, in some cases, impact portfolios. As we've discussed, the dollar is more a reflection of global economic headwinds and tailwinds than a driver of specific asset allocation needs on its own. That's right. And in today's environment of high inflation, rising interest rates, and growth slowing at the margin, our convictions in value within equities, for example, and our short duration bent within fixed income are not because of the dollar itself, but more of a reflection of the same forces that are driving the dollar. 
right? And it's not just about the fundamental economic drivers, but also about how those drivers impact flows and sentiment, which as Julia's pointed out, impact the dollar. Exactly. So many of the factors affecting the dollar boil down to risk tolerance, which can drive global asset allocation considerations, where the U.S. is considered that safe haven, but international assets are seen, at least by U.S. investors, as more risky. Where the dollar's relative strength really plays a significant role is with international assets. And for us, the most relevant asset class is there are international developed equities and emerging markets equities. Dollar-based investors could be prudent to consider expected currency losses if they play heavily in the international space, particularly depending on the time horizon of their investment. So those with a shorter time horizon may be more impacted by big currency swings if they happen. All right, a little bonus content today after our portfolio pause. Now that we've covered the near-term investment implications of the dollar's behavior, let's look longer term. Love it. The top question I've received about the dollar across my entire career has to do with the future of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. And by this, I mean the dollar's role as a key currency in which nearly every country stores some of its wealth and the role that the U.S. has as a last resort lender when the country's chips are down. You're right. This is a pervasive question. Some point to the Fed's use of quantitative easing and say that the dollar's value has been eroded by incessant money printing. Others talk about commodities and how some countries are just sick of commodity contracts being predominantly priced in dollars. Exactly. And we don't need to reject the idea of a really important reserve currency regime change out of hand because it's happened before. The British pound dominated global currencies until around the end of World War II. And such a thing like that may happen again. Again, so the dollar could lose some of its reserve currency status. But the real question for now is, if not the dollar, then what would replace it? Very few, I think, would point to the euro or the yen at this point as the, the obvious replacement, though they're considered reserve currencies, of course, to a lesser degree. I agree. More economists would probably point to the Chinese renminbi. Well, China will soon be the world's largest economy, and it's attempting to price commodity contracts in renminbi, and it's the first country to launch a digital currency to replace hard cash, which opens up a lot of options to its central bank. So yeah, I think that makes sense. Why wouldn't the renminbi be a credible threat to the dollar? So first off, the value of the renminbi is still managed against a basket of global currencies, 20% of which is the dollar. So you can't replace the dollar with a currency that is in part pegged to the dollar. That's an issue for at least the next few years. So even if and maybe when the renminbi were allowed to float freely, as in no longer being managed by its central bank, it would remain subject to the willingness of the global financial system to adopt that currency and treat it as a long-term store of value. That's a really good and very interesting point. We're not just talking about commodity contracts, but also the whole entrenched financial system that, that surrounds these contracts and other aspects of the global economy. And whether we like it or not, Countries like Saudi Arabia are the center of the world's energy needs, and their currency has a firm dollar peg, which affects the prices of all those various contracts in dollars. And some other oil exporters are also pegged to the dollar. Yeah. And beyond the commodity side, diversification of dollar exposure does stand to benefit some countries. Russia, for instance, probably has more need for renminbi than dollars at this point. But globally, the scheme of things is, is very clear. The dollar comprises 59% of global foreign exchange reserves versus China's 9%. And it's very hard to imagine that changing structurally for quite some time. 
That's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views on NewYorkLifeInvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Julia Herman. See you next time. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamats and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which may vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or adopt any investment strategy. There's no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both a service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.